We're starting a series entitled, But God. But God. You know, here's the thing. Everybody in this room, you have a story sometime in your life where you look back on the situation and you say to yourself, uh, you look at something that happened and you say, that could have had a whole different ending. You know what I'm talking about? You know, maybe you were driving down the road and that drunk driver swerved out of the, into the wrong lane. And the next thing you know, an angel stepped in and, and swerved him back over. And you're looking and you say, that could have had a whole different ending. Or maybe you were, <laughs> maybe you're like me. Before I met Julie, I was mating, me, dating this girl. And, uh, and I thought I wanted to marry her. And then uh, that, that broke off. The Lord made it clear that that was not his will. And then I met Julie, and I thank the Lord every day, because that could have had a whole different ending. <laughs> We've all been there. You know, there's, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they, they refused to, to bow down to an idol, and they were facing certain death in the flames of a fiery, fiery furnace. And, and we know the end of the story, so we read it, and we're not too worried, we're not too upset about it. Uh, but the reality is we forget They didn't know the end of the story the way that we know the end of the story. So there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They might be ashes in a few minutes, and we know how it turned out, but if it had gone a different way, that could have had a whole different ending, couldn't it? But God intervened by His mercy and grace. There's Daniel. He's about to become the midnight snack for a cave full of lions. But God had a different idea. There, there was the Israelites who were about to be made into mincemeat by the Egyptian army by the Red Sea. But God said, let me show you what I can do. Jesus was dead and was buried. He's placed in a tomb. But God stepped in and changed the course of history. How many of you are, are glad that, that in the middle of your story that the words appear in big, bold letters, but God? Amen. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to look at how God changes everything. Today, I want you to turn to the book of Hosea. Now, if you're on your phone or your tablet, it's easy because you can do a little search. If you're you're not sure where Hosea is, if you're opening up your Bible, just kind of open it up right in the middle. You're probably going to be around Psalms or Proverbs or Isaiah. Go to the right. A few books, you'll find it. It's a little bitty book right there, Hosea, and you'll find it there. But before we get into the Word, why don't you just bow your head and let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a, a God who intervenes in the lives of, of people who are, need when they, who are in need, Lord, when they call out to you. Lord, I believe that there are those that are in this place today that, that are in need. They're in a place uh, where they need divine intervention Uh, from an all-powerful God who loves them more than they even dare to hope. I'm asking you to speak to us today, Lord God, deep in our innermost being. And and Lord, I'm asking that you would draw the wanderer back home today. And we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Several years ago, I had an experience, and I've shared this before, I know on Wednesday night, maybe on Sunday morning, uh, but it it illustrates what I'm I'm talking about so well that I'm going to tell it again. And if you've heard it, just nod your head and smile and pretend like it's the first time and make me feel better about it. But, uh, but I had an experience that didn't last very long at all, but it had a massive experience, a massive impact on, uh, on me in the moment. I was with Erin, our oldest daughter, um, and she was around two years old. I went to Walmart to buy some T-shirts. 
And you know, at Walmart, they have all these little cubbies up on the shelf with all the different t-shirts and the colors and the sizes and everything. And I was, remember I was there with her and I was looking at the t-shirts, but I was trying to pay very close attention to her. But how many of you know that uh, a two-year-old uh, just needs a split second and they can be gone? You know what I'm talking about? And, and I remember I, I was, she was right here. I looked at a shirt up here. I turned around and she was gone that fast. And I looked around and I couldn't find her. I couldn't see her. And, and, I, and I, I, I started calling her name, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. And if she comes running in, that'd be funny. Yes, dad, I heard you calling me. Doesn't happen at home. It's not going to happen here. But, <laughs> but anyway, I'm calling her name. She's not answering. And so I go around to the end of the aisle and I look there thinking maybe she snuck around there and she's not there. I go around the other end. I'm starting looking. Now panic is really starting to set in. I mean, I'm about ready to go up to the front and tell him, you got to you got to lock these doors. Somebody's taking my child. I can't find her. I don't know where she is. And I mean, I, I looked everywhere I could. My heart was starting to beat faster. And after a couple of minutes of calling her name and looking, finally, finally, she pops her head out. She had those circular racks of clothing at Walmart. She had crawled in the middle of that and was just sitting on the floor and just apparently just thinking, my daddy's just calling my name for fun, apparently. I don't know what she was thinking. She finally sticks her head out, and it was right there. And it was, it was in that moment, it was only a couple minutes, but it had a huge impact on me. And she, she popped out there. I saw her little head, and every parent here who's ever been anything like this, through anything like this, you'll know exactly what I went through because in that moment, you're, you know, after having this sort of panic attack from a situation like that, is this really weird moment where you want to hug them and you also at the same time want to beat the mess out of them. You know what I'm talking about? It's just weird mixture and love and the need to whip something. But we were reunited. And it feels so good. Reunited because we understood. There's one perfect fit. And sugar, this one is it. We got to finish it now. We both are so excited because we're, come on, reunited. Hey, hey. Once sometimes you get started, you got to finish. How many of you have no idea what that song is? You're just like looking at me and saying, let me see your hand. If you don't know, you're either, if you don't know that song, you're either young or old, one of the two. Anyway, so anyway, sorry, I get distracted once in a while. So I found my daughter. She had, she had wandered off, but when she wandered off, I went to find her. She had wandered off, but I, I did whatever it took to find her. I, 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 was, I was serious when I said I was ready to go up to the front and tell them, you, you lock the doors, shut this, this place down. I've lost my daughter. I've got to find her. I need some help. And, and, you know, and honestly, if somebody had taken her and they said to get her back, it's going to cost you everything that you own. Honestly, that'd be a no-brainer. You want my house? Fine. Here's the keys. You, you want my car? <laughs> okay, well, you know, it's not that great, but here's the keys. You want my, you know, 1992 uh, Craftsman lawnmower? <laughs> Have at it, buddy. Matter of fact, I'll pay you to take that one. But I was willing to do whatever it took to find her and to bring her back to me because I love her. And, and when I found Aaron, 
Now, I wanted to, I wanted to, there was something in me that wanted to whip her, but I didn't punish her. I just grabbed her and I hugged her neck and I held her close. She had wandered, but I pursued her. She wandered off, but because I love her, I went after her. She wandered off, but I found her. Where does that kind of love come from? Well, I can tell you exactly where it comes from. The Bible says in Isaiah that all of us have wandered from God and gone our own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Everybody say all. All. Come on, you can do even a little better. Everybody say all. All. Do you know what that means in Hebrew? It means all. (laughs) That's about as deep as it gets. If you're hoping for something deeper, you came to the wrong place today. Uh, Everybody wanders from God. And he says, each of us has turned to his own way. And now, now sometimes, sometimes we wander because we're just in full-blown bo- full rebellion, like the prodigal son. We, we just, we're just out to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and we're just going to chase after our own desires. We're going we're to have the party of a lifetime. We're just in full-blown rebellion. We, we believe that we know what's best for our life, and we're just going to wander off. But we're not just really wandering. We're running from God in that moment. How many of you ever, have ever been there in that place? You ever run from God? You're just running as hard and as fast as you could. And anything that looked like God or tasted like God or sounded like God or smelled like God, you were on the fast track uh, out of there as quick as you could get on there running from God. But you know what? Some of us haven't run from God. Sometimes we wander away. We just simply drift away. We, we haven't been guilty of rebellion, but what's happened is that a sense of boredom has set in. I think that's one of the biggest things that's happening in the American church is people are bored. And that's because they're just going through the, the, the process of religion and they're not, uh, they're not alive in their relationship with Christ. Let me tell you something. If you're really following Jesus, it will be anything but boring. But those are the people. You know, you get saved, you come to church, and you're like, heard that song before. Didn't we sing that three weeks ago? Why is she singing that one again? Or you're like, I've got to read my Bible again. Oh, trying to make it all the way through this year. Here we are. Oh, it's Leviticus again. Oh, joy. You know, and and we just kind of get bored. And because we get bored, we don't run from God, but we just sort of drift away from him. And how many know that if I start navigating towards something, if I'm a couple of degrees off right here, it's not that big of a deal in the short term. If I wanted to go to that door, if I'm a couple of degrees off and I come over to the door, I I may miss the door, but it's not that big of a deal because I can still reach it over here. But you know what? When you look at things at life, when you when you look at things in the long term, then then you end up getting way off course in the long term for short deviances. And we have a pilot here. He can tell you that this is very, very true. In fact, a story I found in 1979, a large passenger jet with 257 people on board left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica and back. But unknown to the pilots, someone had modified the flight coordinates by a mere two degrees. This error placed the aircraft 28 miles to the east of where they assumed that they were. And as they approached Antarctica, the pilots descended to a lower altitude to give the passengers a better look at the landscape. And although both of them were experienced pilots, neither one had been on this particular flight before. And they had no way of knowing that the incorrect coordinates had been had placed in the navigation system and that it put them directly on a path with Mount Erebus. 
An active volcano that rises from the frozen landscape to a height of more than 12,000 feet. And as the pilots flew onward, the, 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 the white of the snow and the ice covering the volcano blended with the white of the clouds above, making it appear as though, as though they were just flying above the ground over flat ground. And by the time the instruments sounded, the, the warning that the ground was rising fast toward them, it was too late. And that airplane crashed into the side of a volcano, killing everybody on board. It was a terrible tragedy brought on by a minor error. Matter of only a few degrees. Small drifting away from God today brings horrible tragedy into our lives way down the road. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens bit by bit by bit until one day you find yourself far from God and wonder how in the world you got there. This is what happened to Samson. It's what happened to Samson. It was just one step at a time. And, and, you know, when, when, it, 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 when he, they finally, he finally told the truth and they cut his hair and they said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. It says that the Bible says that Samson rose and he shook himself as before. In other words, every time this had happened, he got up and he shook himself and he got himself ready. And he said, I know God's with me. I'm going to win this battle. But this time he get, got up and the Bible says one of the most tragic things that I've ever read, one of the most sad statements it says he did not know that the spirit of god had left him that didn't happen overnight that happened because he kept pressing the boundaries he kept saying no i don't want a hebrew girl i want that girl i I don't want to do what god wants me to do i want to go over here i want to push the boundaries and step by step by step eventually he drifted and moved to a point where he was completely without god and didn't even know it that's sobering it's sobering for us. You know, it's, it's actually a little like the elderly couple. They were driving down the road in their, in their pickup truck. As they were driving down the road, reminiscing, they started reminiscing about the days of old when they were young newlyweds. They were remembering the romance of those days and how wonderful everything seemed. And after a while, the woman said, you know, when we were young newlyweds, I remember how we sat so close to each other. As we drove down the road, we were right there, cheek to cheek, jowl to jowl. There we were. And and she said, and you would put your arm around me and I just cuddle up into you. We were so close. We were we were inseparable. And she said, now here we are riding down the road. You're over there driving the truck and I'm way over here next to the window. There's this chasm between us. What happened to us? The old man looked over at her and said, well, I don't know, but I didn't move. (laughs) I'm where I've always been. That's exactly the way it is with God. Whether we wander by inches or by miles, we're the ones that wander. We're the ones that create distance between God and us. God has not moved. He is where he has always been. So, you know, maybe you're rebellious. Maybe you haven't wandered due to boredom or uh, maybe you're not rebellious. Maybe you haven't wandered due to boredom or carelessness. But maybe you felt disappointed by God. Sometimes we wander because we feel disappointed by God. Anybody ever felt that? You know, he didn't come through in the way that you wanted him to. And, and maybe he didn't heal your parent. Maybe he didn't deliver your child. Maybe you didn't get that check in the mail. And now you're angry with God. You're upset with God. And because of your disappointment, you've wandered away from God. 
Well, I want to tell you, if you've wandered an inch or a mile, today's message is for you. God has given us this incredible book of Hosea. Now, some of you may be new to church or new to the Bible, and, and a lot of you may have never read Hosea. But I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take a show of hands of, over who has read and who hasn't, but I'm going to guess that there are a lot of you who are not up on the minor prophets from the Old Testament, and Hosea is one of those. And I'm going to tell you right up front, Hosea is an odd book. It's an odd book. I'm going to tell you right, up, right straight out, there is some strange stuff in Hosea. I, I, I mean, and I'll tell you this. You ever see on TV when you're growing up, you, somebody would do some crazy stunt, and then the announcer would say, now kids, don't try this at home. I'm telling you this, when you read Hosea, don't try this at home. You'll understand a lot more when we get into it. Uh, uh, there, there's some strange commands in, in all through Scripture. Like when he told the Israelites, he said, listen, I want you to walk around that wall once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day, walk around seven times and then shout. That's a weird command. Anybody, I know we've got at least one military person. We've got a couple. Anybody here been in the military before? Don't you think that would be a weird military strategy? If your commander said, this is what we're going to do. It's a strange command. Or, uh, you know, or, 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 you know, what about Jesus? I love Jesus. He, he, I love that when they say, they come to him and say, it's time to pay the temple tax. And so what does Jesus say? He tells Peter, he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go fishing. Some of you are like, God told Jesus, told Peter to, uh, to go fishing. Yes, he did. That doesn't mean he's telling you to do that right now. But he said, go, go fishing. I want you to catch a fish. He said, the first fish you pull out of the water, I want you to open up his mouth. And in there, you're going to find enough money to pay, able to pay the temple tax. I mean, that's an odd command, isn't it? But look at what God says to Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through, through Hosea, Hosea was a prophet, and the Lord is speaking through him. The Lord said to him, go. Okay, are you ready? I want you to buckle up. Buckle up. Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for an adulterous wife this land. Uh, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Well, number one, he married somebody named Gomer. That's, that's already off to kind of a bad start, right? Um, I, I, can't, I can't read this without thinking of Gomer Pyle. Well, golly, you know, it's just uh, it's a bad start already. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and, ha- and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. So God told Hosea, he said, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Now that's what he told him. That's, that's not what he's telling anybody here. I'm just, I'm quite sure of that. Don't run down to Memphis saying I'm on a mission from God. You know, that's, that's not a way to go. I don't know what's wrong with me this morning. He says... So he says to Hosea, he says, go marry Gomer, get a prostitute for a wife. It's, a, it's, it's an incredibly strange command because God is trying to illustrate something to us. And the first thing God wants to illustrate is this. We wander, but God never stops pursuing us. 
He never stops pursuing us. You see, Gomer and Hosea's relationship was a mirror image. It was an example. It was an allegory. It was a picture of the relationship between God and Israel. It was a picture that showed that God had chosen Israel, that God had married Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, and yet Israel turned to every pretty little God that came their way as they walked through the nation of Israel. Israel constantly said, we want to be like everybody else. We don't want to do you what you want us to do. And Israel kept wandering away from God. And the Bible says that Israel played the harlot and wandered away from God. And God says to Hosea, I want you to go marry Gomer so that we can show Israel what it's like to be married to an adulterous woman. He says, you marry her. So Hosea marries her. But what does she do? Hosea marries Gomer, but she leaves him for other men. She starts going out with, with other guys. It's like, it's like, I got another country, another song coming to my mind. Uh, who, Whose who's, uh, bed has your boots been under? You remember that one? Whose lips have your, been, your lips been kissing? Uh, 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 whose ear did you make a wish in? See, I do R&B and country. It's, it's a gift. So eventually, so eventually, Gomer leaves Hosea. She abandons him, and she becomes a prostitute again. And eventually, she's sold as a sex slave. And God says to Hosea, you go and get her, and you bring her home. I mean, that's a good word for somebody in this place right now. That no matter how far you've wandered for God, no matter how far away from Him you, you may be at the moment, God never stops pursuing you. God never stops chasing after you. The word for somebody here today is Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the reality. All of us have been like Gomer was. All of us have wandered away from God. All of us have sold ourselves out for something less than God's best for our lives, whether by a little or by a lot. And this message for you today is this. No matter how far gone you are, you are not out of the reach of God's mercy or out of the breadth of God's grace. God is pursuing you even today. You thought you came here for a purpose of your own, but you are really here today because God wants you to know that he loves you and he's hot on your trail. He's in pursuit of you today. We wander, but God pursues. Everybody say, but God. We wander, but God never stopped pursuing us. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in transgressions, it was by grace you have been saved. But God pursues us. But here's the thing. He pursues us not to punish us, but to redeem us. I grew up in a household of mostly boys. Uh, we had three boys and a girl, and then my parents decided that, that they weren't uh, suffering enough, so they adopted another boy. So, so this family, mostly boys. And I, I'm telling you, I have great relationships with all of my brothers. Uh, but I have to admit to you that when we were growing up, that wasn't always the case. There were times, I'm sure, and I'm sure that wasn't your experience as you're, you know, growing up. I'm sure for you and your siblings, it was all butterflies and roses, and everybody had perfect manners, 
and everybody put each other first, but that's not what it was like growing up in my home. Uh, For example, at dinner, it was every man for himself. You know what I'm talking about? You'd better get what you want while you can because it probably won't be there the next go-around. And that's still a habit I have to fight it today to this day. But, you know, both of my parents, they worked. And back in those days, if, you, if both parents worked, kids just stayed home. You know, we were old enough and, uh, that, that they didn't worry about it. And it was a different world back then. But we would stay home. And, and there were times during the summer when school was out that we, we would just get after each other. And I especially got in fights with my older brother. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand about my older brother. He has always been uh, much bigger than me. Always. He's a bigger guy than, than I am. But, it's not the case anymore, but then I was quick. I was quick back then. I, I tried to make sure that whenever I was going to aggravate him, that I was not within arm's reach. Because if, it was, if I was in arm's reach, I was in trouble. But if I was far enough away where he couldn't grab me, I knew I could outrun him. So you've got to have your strategy and your plan in place. So, you know, I mean, I was, I was born one time, but I was not born yesterday. So I knew that I had to, I had to if I was going to get smart and get under his, his skin, I had to be in a situation where I could then run like the Dickens. And I don't know how the Dickens runs, but that's how I would run. I remember one time uh, I had aggravated him to the extreme, and this time I made a terrible mistake. I did not plan out my, my escape very well. I don't, remember, I don't remember what started any of those fights when I was a kid, but, uh, but he, he started chasing me, and I was running, and, and, and as I ran through the house, I made a tactical error. I, I should have kept running straight ahead. If I'd kept running straight ahead as I was running through the kitchen, I would have, I would have come to the back door I would have been able to make it through the back door, and there's no way he's catching me outside. I don't know what happened. It was a brain cramp. Something went wrong, and I ran, it, ran into the kitchen, and I ran into the kitchen and turned left. The problem with turning left into the kitchen was it was a dead end. And I was afraid it's going to be a dead end. More than one way. You know what I'm talking about. And so anyway, as soon as I went around there, I, I realized there was no place to go. He had me trapped. He had me cornered. I just started was just sort of cowering in, in the corner there a little bit right next to this, this cabinet, this cupboard door. It was tall, you know, big, big tall door in the kitchen there. And, and the worst thing was is that he had me cornered there and he was, he was just so mad. He's just breathing smoke and I could not stop laughing at him. How many of you know that makes it worse? That just makes it way worse. And so my brother, the problem was he knew that if he hit me and he hurt me very badly, that it was going to get ugly when my parents come home. But he was so angry that he could not hold it in. So I watched him as he balled up his fist, which was, you know, about half the size of my head at the time. And he balled up his fist and he reared back and he started swinging. And I thought, this is it. I'm coming home to see you, Jesus. This is it. This is it. He's going to, I'm going to die. But, but he knew he couldn't hurt me, so he swung his fist and he hit the cabinet right next to my head. Well, here's the problem. It was a cheap cabinet. And as soon as he did that, it, it cracked. It put a, a little hole in it. It cracked it right open. 
And I, I looked at that door. He looked at that door. And suddenly my brother and I were friends again. <laughs> because we knew we had a common enemy. And their names were Ron and Georgia Hoskins. And they were going to be coming home soon. And we didn't know when they were going to get home. So we were, you know, we were there, we were working on that door, quickly trying to put it back together, trying to hide the crack, you know, because it, it had gotten stuck. It was like a cheap particle board. And so, so you know, I, I, we got it out and tried to make it look good. And we looked at it and said, all right, that looks all right. I think we're, we're going to be okay. Let's go. And then we were out of the house as quick as lightning. And then the parentals come home. Of course, we thought we'd repaired it really, really nicely, but it was messed up. I mean, the paint was chipped off uh, a little bit. The crack didn't line up. It was just it was not flush. It looked terrible. And we're outside, and all of a sudden, my, my mother starts calling our names. And, and, and they call us in. And you know, listen, this is the truth. You know how mothers are. They can't just say stuff. They, they ought to be prosecutors because, you know, we call me into the kitchen. Uh, both of us were standing in the kitchen they didn't even mess with my younger brother. He was too, too short to have made that hole. So they, you know, they knew it was one of us too. And they call us in the kitchen and she starts with this. Do you see this door? I want to say, no, mom, I'm blind. But that'll get you knocked in the head. So you got to be smooth. See, see what? That door. Yeah, yeah, I see that door looking good. I like that door. Well, look at that crack in the door. Did you notice that? Wow. No. What in the world? Do you have any idea how that happened? Well, I don't know. Could have happened any number of ways. Maybe an earthquake. I'm not sure. And then then in that moment, that's when they start using your whole name and you know you're really in trouble. David Allen Hoskins. That's when I knew it was big time. You know you're in trouble. So, you know, uh, and some of you, you may have grown up. Anybody grow up in a home where your, your mom would say something like, wait till your father gets home. That ever happened to you? That was not my experience. That was not my experience. My experience is that my mom would take me in the bank, uh, bedroom, spank me, and then she would say, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> and then he'd come home and I'd get it again. I'd get two, two whippings for everything I ever did. And, you know, not the brains out of me. That's probably what my problem is today. You know, I actually, you know, I, I'm thinking I really, my, listen, my parents were good at spanking. I'm think, I think they were considering going pro. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think they were heading that way. I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced. I'm getting off track. But I get, I'm convinced that my mom, when she went Christmas shopping for me as a child, she bought toys by the degree of pain they could cause. So I think that's how we ended up with Hot Wheels tracks. Because I think she picked it up in the store and said, Oh, that had hurt. I'll take it. And so I can feel it now. So anyway, my parents tracked us down. They found us. We wandered off because we had messed up. But they tracked us down. And they found us. And when they found us, you know what they did? I just told you. They punished us. Because you know what? Somebody has got to pay. 
And that's when we're not like God. That, because when God pursues you, when, when God finds you, it's not to punish you. It's not to make you pay. It's to forgive you. It's to show you grace. It's to show you mercy. It's, it's to say, I forgive you for what you've done. There's a place in my family for you. God pursues us because He loves us. He doesn't pursue us to punish us. He doesn't pursue us because He's angry with us. He pursues us to redeem us. He doesn't hold us down he, to pursue us to hold us down. He pursues us to restore us he doesn't pursue us to get even with us but he pursues us to get us right with him god pursues us not because he wants to hurt us but because he wants to help us because he what he loves us we wander but god pursues why because he loves us not to punish us but to but to love us how many of you are thankful for a god like that that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look what the Bible says, Hosea 3.1. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels, shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. So God says to Hosea, though she has given herself to another man, you go buy her and bring her back home. He said, you go show your love to your wife again. He says, you go find her and don't get even with her. You go find her. Don't get angry with her. You go find her and don't don't beat her up when you find her. Don't punish her when you find her. You go find her and do what? Love her. And maybe you've wandered from God and this morning you're afraid about what God might do when he gets a hold of you. But but do you you know what he's going to do to you when he gets you? He's going to love you. You say, how do do you know that, Pastor? I know that because the example that we have right here in Scripture tells us He loves us. But here's the truth there. I want you to understand this. That cabinet door in my kitchen, somebody had to pay for that door, right? Somebody had to pay. If the cabinet door wasn't, wasn't going to stay that way, if you knew my father, we were, we were not going to have a messed up door. It was going to be fixed, but somebody was going to pay for it. My brother and I, we did not have any money at all. We were probably 10 or 12 years old. So guess who paid? My parents. Somebody has to pay for you to come back to God. When you've wandered from God, whether it's by inches or by a few miles, or even a universe away, somebody has to pay to get you home. And here's what the Bible says in Romans 5.8. Listen to what the Word says. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, everybody say, but God. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much that He pursues you. And when He pursues you, somebody had to pay for you to come back to Him. What it means is this. Jesus paid a debt that He did not owe because you owed a debt that you could never pay. He died in your place so that you could experience His grace. So, so look at this. Hosea goes after Gomer, finds her in slavery. You've got to buy her back. What does the Bible say? It says that he paid 15 shekels of silver for her. And I looked that up because I don't know how much a shekel is. And a shekel was about two weeks' pay. Two weeks' pay. He paid 15 shekels. 
even with my limited math skills, I can figure out that that's 30 weeks pay, which is over half a year. Over half a year. What do you make in half a year? You know, take your annual salary, divide it in two, and he paid a little more than that. But you know what he really paid? He gave everything he had to get Gomer back. Because it says after he paid 15 shekels of silver, what did he do next? He gave a homer and a lethic of barley. I have no idea how much barley that is. But here's what I know. He gave all of the money he had, and when he ran out of money, he started throwing in other things to sweeten the pot. Be like draining your checking account, and then draining your savings account. And then raiding your, enti- your, your retirement account to come up with a half a year's salary. And if you didn't have enough, what would you do? you go down to the pawn shop and that 65-inch TV that you went into debt to get. You're going to go, you do whatever, whatever you have to do to get that money. You're going to get rid of it. You take what you have and you start liquidating it. You start selling it to get what you need. Here, here's Hosea who has done nothing wrong. Who is giving everything he has to bring back this adulterous prostitute to come back to his home to be his wife so he can love her. Does that not sound like Jesus? He who did nothing wrong gave everything he had so that we could come back to God. See, here's what I know. We wander, but God never stops pursuing us. We wander but God pursues us because he loves us. We wander, but God pays the price so that we can come back home. How many are grateful for that this morning? Say amen. amen. We'll close with this. I grew up in a small Assemblies of God church, and I grew up singing hymns, but most of the hymns that we sang, we, we like to sing those, those upbeat ones, you know, like I'll Fly Away, uh, Just Over in the Glory Land, There's Power in the Blood. We like to be able to clap to it, all those old songs. But, you know, I went to Bible college, and I found out that there are other kinds of hymns. They're fancier hymns. You know, and I I learned one old hymn that I grew to love. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Love this song. The words are so rich. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. But then there's a part of the third verse that I really, really relate to. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You know what I'm talking about? Prone to leave the God I love. So easy to drift. So easy to be pulled away by the things of the world, the cares of the world, the petty little things I want to do. All we like sheep have gone astray. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But then it says this. This is our prayer. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I wonder if maybe you're here today and you've just wandered far from God. Or maybe maybe you've just wandered a little bit. 
Today the word of the Lord is for you. This message is for you. This service is for you. And God says, even though you've wandered, you can come back home today. I've pursued you, not to punish you, but I've pursued you to love you, and I've paid the price for you to come home. Hosea pursued Gomer because he loved her, and he paid everything he had to get her back. And God recorded that story in this book because you've wandered away from him today, and he has pursued you not to punish you but to love you. He has paid the price. So the question for us is really, really very simple. Do you want to come home? See, with the prodigal, that was the question all along. It was not a question of whether his father wanted him home. It was not a question of whether he would be welcomed when he came home. The question was very simple. Do you want to come home? And when he finally said yes, he found the home that he thought he'd lost forever. We wander, but God finds us. Are you here today and you say, God has found me and I I want to come back home today? Would you bow your head, close your eyes? Father, I cannot see you.